Well, um, we are here in the season of Lent, um, the 40 days leading up to Easter. And throughout this season of Lent, sometimes it's something, uh, it's a season where people give something up or they take something on. Uh, maybe you've done that for your spiritual discipline of some sacrifice that you're, uh, that you're making or maybe another spiritual discipline that you've taken on. Um, uh, I always uh, remember that um, when, I, when I talked about Lent one time in a church, I had a woman who came up to me afterward and said, all right, Pastor Melissa, I counted the days between Ash Wednesday and Easter, um, and there are 46, not 40. So who's lying? And I said, well, no one is lying. Um, uh, in the season of Lent, uh, we, don't re- we, count, we don't count Sundays. So Sundays count as many Easter's or many celebrations or many resurrections. Um, and so it's a day that if you've given something up throughout the season for Lent, um, on Sundays you get to feast. Um, we were talking in Bible study on Tuesday morning, and Pastor Bruce said that um, he had heard from someone that, uh, that uh, when you give something up, then on Sunday you get to, to take Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, it's not a catch-up day. So if you gave up, uh, if you gave up chocolate, um, you don't get to eat all the chocolate that you would have eaten throughout the week. Um, but, uh, but we do get to feast. And so, um, so that's what Sundays count as if you're counting the season of Lent. And during our sermon series, during our worship series here, we're going to look at some of the stories of Jesus. Uh, Jesus does a lot during his ministry, which is kind of an understatement. Um, but Jesus also, throughout his ministry, he does a lot that makes people angry with the way that he heals, the way that he loves, forgives, and challenges systems of power. And you don't uh, ultimately, you don't challenge that many systems without a response. And ultimately, that's a call for Jesus' death. So during Lent, we'll look at some of these stories and what they mean for our faith and for our life together. So this morning, Jesus' beginning of his public ministry, his baptism. Would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, when we talk about Jesus, we have to start from the beginning. So let's go back to Genesis. No, I'm just kidding. We won't go that far. Um, but when we start with, uh, with Jesus, um, and we start with his life story, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, um, we remember some of the ways that Matthew's Gospel is written. And Matthew's Gospel is written primarily to a Jewish audience. Um, Obviously, other people read it, but primarily the, the audience for Matthew's gospel is a Jewish audience. And so there's parts throughout the gospel that we can recognize this. Um, and uh, as a part of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is set up to be the new Moses. Um, because that's how they understood who the greatest prophet had been thus far, um, who had led the people, the Israelites, out of slavery into freedom from Egypt to the promised land. And so the belief was that Jesus, as the Messiah, would do the same thing, would lead, lead them from slavery into freedom. And so that's how Jesus is presented throughout the Gospel of Matthew. So we start, um, Matthew being one of the two Gospels where Jesus' birth story is recorded. Uh, so we hear how Jesus is born. And then we also hear um, the story of how Herod wanted to kill Jesus 
or at least whoever he thought might be the Messiah, um, all of the children under the age of two, uh, which is similar to the story of Moses, uh, Pharaoh wanting to kill all of the children, except Moses escaped that as well, just like Jesus. So Jesus and his family flee to, e- flee to Egypt as refugees and eventually come back to Nazareth where he grows up. Jesus is the son of a carpenter. He was born into and lived in poverty. He grew up into a man and gathered a group of people who followed and listened to him called the disciples or sometimes called the apostles. And he made enough people angry that he was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose, he was resurrected, which is getting ahead of the story a little bit, but that's Jesus' life story in a nutshell. So Jesus' baptism, in order to know this story, we have to know a little bit about John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was a prophet, and this was known from his birth. His parents were Elizabeth and Zechariah, who we talk about sometimes during Advent um, as we talk about uh, Jesus' birth. There's also John the Baptist's birth. Elizabeth, John's mother, uh, was cousins to Mary, who was Jesus' mother. So Jesus and John the Baptist are related to each other. And uh, the birth of John the Baptist became as a surprise, so much of a surprise that when um, Elizabeth told Zechariah that she was pregnant, um, he didn't believe her. And when an angel told Zechariah that Elizabeth was pregnant, he didn't believe the angel. And so he wasn't able to speak until after John was born. So John's birth has some uh, strangeness to it. And he was born to be a prophet. And as a prophet, he is preaching for ethical renewal. He preaches things like prepare the way of the Lord or make paths straight. He preaches God's salvation for all people um, and didn't always get a warm reception everywhere he went. Oftentimes, prophets didn't. They were often killed for the message that they gave, most of the time because it was a challenging message that they offered. I mean, we don't always like to hear the places where we may have fallen short or we may not be doing exactly what God wants us to do. Um, And that's sometimes what a prophet's job was to remind us to follow the right path. Um, John the Baptist got in, in the biggest trouble when he started preaching against Herod, who was the king at the time, Herod's marriage to his brother's wife. So Herod married his own brother's wife um, and, uh, while his brother was still living. Um, and so John the Baptist was preaching against this, which made Herod and um, his wife angry and ultimately um, cost John his head. Um, So he was beheaded for preaching this. You know, John the Baptist. So um, as Pastor Larry read the the sermon that John the Baptist was preaching this morning, um, you know, that's a great way to start a sermon. You brood of vipers. I mean, you know, you're you're probably real tuned in at that point. You're probably thinking, this is going to get good. Um... Or maybe not. Maybe you start thinking, oh, really? Who's the brood of vipers? Um, It's not really, uh, it doesn't seem to me like it's the most loving way to approach. Um, And yet, it was also part of how John preached. Um, 
he's preaching especially to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who he sees coming. Um, He sees them as hypocrites, as those who are um, saying one thing and doing another. And so he's trying to get across to them that they need to come, not just them, but anyone needs to come to these waters of baptism with repentance and don't come unless you truly mean what you say that you're doing. And John really doesn't mince words hardly ever. So the Sadducees and the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. Uh, And a lot of times, I think, when we talk about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we often talk about them not necessarily in the most positive of ways, uh, because we often uh, equate them or put them with those who uh, helped to orchestrate Jesus' death, and which is not untrue. And also, uh, if we put ourselves in the shoes of the Pharisees and the Sadducees of what they thought they were doing... Uh, we might have a little bit more grace for them. So the Pharisees, what they believed is if we all follow all of the rules exactly and we get rid of those that don't, then the Messiah will come and the Messiah will take care of everything. But if we stop following the rules, we're in trouble. And so it was their job to make sure that the rules were followed. And the Sadducees believed we have to follow the rules to the letter, and they didn't believe in resurrection. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were trying to do the best that they could in order to usher in the Messiah to come to take care of everything. And there were, of course, other religious groups at that time. There were the Essenes, the Zealots, among others. And most of the time, uh, these groups didn't like each other very much. So if you see the Sadducees and the Pharisees working together, it's kind of a big deal, um, which will come up later in the story of Jesus. But if you think about it, um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were not a political group. But think about the Pharisees and the Sadducees as like, you know, the Republicans and the Democrats. Um, And when they work together, you know something big is happening. Um, And so that's what these groups are. And John, the Baptist, is clearly not of, uh, he doesn't like either of these groups. And so John is uh, at the waters or at the river um, doing this baptism, which was like a ritual cleansing. It was a cleansing from sin in order to re-enter the community of faith, a baptism of repentance. And this sort of baptism could be done many times as a cleaning or as a cleansing in order to show the repentance that was done to, enter, to re-enter the community of faith. And Jesus comes to be baptized by John. And so the intro that, God, that John gives to Jesus, as Jesus comes forward for baptism, John says, I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and would gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire." The talk about separating the wheat, the good stuff, from the chaff, the useless stuff. 
after having just chastised the Pharisees and the Sadducees, this seems like a pretty obvious comparison of who the wheat is and who the chaff is. The intro of the Messiah is the one who will set things right in a pretty powerful way. And John sets up his relationship with the Messiah in opposition to other religious groups. So John says, this is what the Messiah is like. And then he baptizes Jesus. I mean, people who don't agree with John are not going to be pleased with who he says the Messiah is. They probably won't believe or agree or think that Jesus is the Messiah because he doesn't fit the picture of what the Messiah should or will be like. And then Jesus is baptized. And Matthew answers the question of why Jesus is baptized. Now, we know Jesus to be without sin, that he came fully human and fully divine, but one who didn't know sin. So why would Jesus need to be baptized as a cleansing of sin or as a cleansing, a ritual cleansing of repentance to reenter the community of faith? And John asked this question, too. And Jesus tells John, let it be so, for it is proper for us to do this in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus' short answer to the question is, because. So that's the answer, because. Well, because it's proper, because it fulfills some of the scripture, because it is what we're doing. And John takes that as a good enough answer. And so Jesus is baptized. And after Jesus' baptism, we hear the voice of God say, this is my son. This is my beloved. With him, I am well pleased. And although we have a little bit of other story that happens before this, we don't really have much about what Jesus has done. We don't have... Jesus had not performed any miracles. There really hadn't been any teachings of Jesus at this point. He hasn't really done anything. Really, the first story that we have with Jesus is his baptism. And the voice of God announces that this is my son, my beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Our baptism means something, not because of who we are, or what we've done, but because of who God is and how God has acted, because of God's promises for and with us, because Jesus means something, not just to us, but to the whole world. I was teaching about baptism um, to a Sunday school class once, um, and I had preached that morning about Jesus, and um, then in Sunday school that uh, late after the service, we were talking about Jesus' baptism, um, and actually, the picture that we had that we were, we were working on coloring looked a, a lot like the picture that we have on the screen, um, and uh, as we were talking, um, one, of the, one of the girls, who she, I think she was in about second grade at the time, Um, She said, uh, excuse me, Pastor Melissa, um, what is that that Jesus is in? And I said, like his clothes? And she goes, no, 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 like what's that, that, that stuff that he's in? And I thought, we've been talking about baptism all morning. Um, It's water. And she said, oh, I 
saying it's quicksand. <laughs> and I said, we've been talking about baptism all morning. It's water. Yeah, I think it's quicksand, so I'm going to color it brown. I said, but it's water. Maybe it's quicksand. But it's water. No, I think it's quicksand. And I was like, look, we're going to argue about this for a long time. Um, I said, well, why do you think it's quicksand? And she goes, because it is. Um, and I said, it's water. And she sighed and she said, look, hey, Pastor Melissa, last night we watched a movie about quicksand and today I'm a little bit more scared of quicksand than I am of water. And I think that it's really cool that Jesus could be baptized in quicksand and come out of it. So Jesus was baptized in quicksand. And I said, but it was water. And she said, but I'm not scared of water. I'm scared of quicksand. And I think that it's better for me if Jesus beat the quicksand. And I said, well, sometimes I guess that might be part of baptism, is that it reminds us that love is stronger than fear. And Jesus beat things for us, like death, like fear. And in the waters of our baptism, or the quicksand of our baptism, we're reminded of God's grace, of the ways that God has acted and helped us to move forward. Baptism is the start of our journey. It's the start of our journey to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our baptism doesn't make us perfect. It doesn't make us immune to sin or to our hearts breaking from pain, but it does invite us into a public journey into a life of making mistakes and picking ourselves back up and starting over again, into a life of trying to figure things out with God. And I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of my baptism. Sometimes to be reminded of love greater than fear. Sometimes, whether it's about the promises that I've made to God, or the promises that have been made by my community of faith, the promises that God makes to me, sometimes I need to be reminded. Sometimes it's because things are just not going great. Sometimes it just feels like the world is against me. Or maybe I've gotten angry or frustrated with God, or I've just forgotten those promises. And maybe that's a way that you have felt also. Maybe you felt angry or frustrated or you've just forgotten and we need to be reminded. Now it is water that's used in our baptism and it's an ordinary element, but it's infused with the Holy Spirit. But water is all around us. And so we remember our baptism when you're swimming in a pool or a lake when you're taking a shower, maybe if you take a shower in the morning, 
you begin your day reminded of the promises of your baptism, or if you shower in the evening, you're reminded of the way that God has been present with you, the promises of your baptism. As you drink a glass of water, as you walk through the snow or the rain, remember your baptism. Not just in the elements, although they help, we remember the promise to love God, to be loved by a community of faith, to be loved by God, to resist evil and justice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves, to follow Jesus, to make mistakes and to be loved, to be part of the body of Christ, to be called into ministry, that Jesus would continue to change your life over and over and over and over again, to be claimed by God, to be reminded that love is greater than fear. You are mine. These are the words that God whispers to us. You have been changed. God's love has already changed you and changed your life. The grace that whispers to you from the beginning of time through infinity. You are my child. You are my beloved. And with you, I am well pleased. And that sort of radical love and acceptance should do something to us. And not just to you or to me, but how we view and treat others. Because not only are we loved by God, but someone else is loved by God. And I don't know about you, but I can think of a couple of people that might be on my list that I think... Maybe God doesn't love you. Come on. Do you have that list? That person who cut you off in traffic? The person who broke your heart? The person who made you angry? Isn't there a fleeting moment in there that you think, maybe? Okay, it's just me. That's fine. And yet... The radical loving nature of God does indeed love everyone, no matter who they are or where they've been. And Jesus shows us this through his ministry over and over again, by eating with people who were considered unclean, healing the sick by touching them, and doing things others wouldn't do. With that radical love of God in mind and the example of Jesus, How can we live in that love? Being reminded that God loves us, which sometimes we need that reminder. But it's not just to hold that love for ourselves, but to share it and remind others that God loves them. A friend of mine for her Lenten Lenten discipline decided that she's going to look at everyone Um, especially the people she disagrees with, as children of God. By saying someone is a child of God or loved by God, you don't have to say that everything they do is perfect or even everything that they do is good. And yet, we are all still loved by God. So how do we show this radical love of God, this love that loves us, 
that won't let us go. You are loved to love others. As Jesus reminds us in some of his teachings, because you are loved, love one another as I have loved you. At the end of the Sunday school class, um, when uh, the girl's mother came to pick her up, I said, we may have had a little fight in class. Um, And she got really concerned. I said, no, no, she and I, not like she and another kid, we argued in class. Because an adult arguing with a second grader makes sense. Um, And I said, well, we, we were arguing over whether Jesus was baptized in water or quicksand, and I just want to make it clear, Jesus was baptized in water. And she was standing behind her mom, and she goes, quicksand! Um, and she, we, we all laughed, and um, she said, well, we did watch a movie last night, but she's pretty scared about it. And, um, and she said, I, I didn't know how to make her feel any better about anything. Um, and she said, Mom, Jesus was baptized in quicksand. That makes me feel better about life. And I said, well, it was water. And yet, love is greater than fear. And if what you need to believe is that Jesus was baptized in quicksand water, well... Love is greater than fear. And what's most important is that you remember the grace of God that has called and claimed and loved you just as you are and calls you out of fear to love others just as God has loved you. Amen.